Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. Penn State 4-0, taking down the Central Michigan Chippewas 33-14. Rapid reaction coming at you right now. Bunch of fan questions. There's a little bit of a Twitter inferno for pretty much no reason. We'll get into all of that and more. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Let's get into it, everybody. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki, and with me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing on this Sunday evening, Sean? The great Sean Kane is feeling great on this Sunday evening because Penn State won yesterday and the Miami Dolphins with the big win today against the Buffalo Bills. Wow, I actually didn't know that. I, you yep. know, I was driving home today, so I didn't see all the scores. Wow, that is a big win. Yeah, fun game to watch. Um, Bills were looking like they were going to just mop the floor with everybody, but, huh. Not Miami. That Miami humidity does wonders for the Dolphins and against other teams, so definitely came in handy today. Well, that's as much Miami football I want to talk today, so. Yes, we got our quota in. <laughs> yeah, we're turning into a Miami Dolphin podcast, like, one step at a time. <laughs> John, we had uh, two separate experiences for this game. Obviously, Penn State got the 33-14 win over Central Michigan, including a shutout in the second half, uh, which I feel like was not talked about enough. Uh, But two separate experiences. You were at the game and looked like it was perfect, like sweater weather, maybe uh, a long sleeve tee weather. And I actually was not able to watch the game live. So completely two sides of the spectrum here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it sucks you had to work. Um, So... My morning was interesting because we got to our tailgate. We hung out with our friends and I was in a hoodie and shorts. And everybody was like, Sean, why are you wearing shorts? 
And they just said, look, it's going to get hot later, and you bake in that stadium. You feel it when it's really cold, and you feel it when it's really hot. So my girlfriend and I are walking up to the stadium, and my phone is totally frozen on the home screen. And as you guys know now, tickets are all mobile. So I had to log into my girlfriend's um, Ticketmaster account and pull the, pull the tickets up and we got in. So that's why you weren't really getting too many uh, first half updates from the Twitter account. But luckily, my lovely girlfriend came to the rescue and she figured out how to unfreeze my phone. So Wow, that, that's stressful right there. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awful. I was having a mini freakout right side of gate F. So you might have you might have saw a um, if you saw somebody very stressed out looking at their phone and his girlfriend trying to calm him down. Well, that was me. So yeah, we need to talk about you posting a picture of yourself on Twitter drinking a white claw on the <laughs> the, tw- the hardcore Penn State football Twitter mm-hmm. account. I don't know that 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 was that me. Any rules there, but I, we haven't enforced any rules. But I think we might have to make one rule that Sean's not allowed to post white claw. So I mean, maybe we almost lost that game because of you guys. Uh, it's very possible. And white claw, if you're listening, I mean, we'll do a sponsorship for you. I'll post one every week. <laughs> I'm sure they're listening. Um, I, I bet. Yeah, I. You know, it's funny you mentioned that ticketing thing. Did I? I don't know if I talked on the podcast about my ticket situation last week did i mention all that i don't know if i went into all that i don't believe so did i mention having our our tickets were locked in the car no do tell yeah so i briefly here i mean this if any episode central michigan it might be the episode to go on a tangent um briefly because i know we're gonna get into the recap here in a second but uh yeah and this is you know no one's fault it just kind of happened the way it is but um got the tickets we put them in my parents car and like everyone parked next to the tailgate. It was really nice. Everyone was right next to us. Uh, but parents, you know, took their keys and went like didn't even leave maybe more than 15 minutes before us. But they wanted to get in there early, made sure they were in there. You know, they'd never been to Auburn before, so they wanted to go maybe walk down, see see a couple things. Anywho, so they leave. And I didn't know at this point that the tickets were in the car. I didn't know where they were. Um, so it's time for us to leave. It's like 1.45. Game starts at 2.30 Central Time, and uh, I'm like, hey, we should probably start walking over there. It's 0.9 miles away. We'll round up to one. And um, then I come to find out, Maddie says, hey, um, the tickets are in the car. Do you want to grab them? And I was like, well, my parents are gone, and I'm pretty sure they took their keys with them. And sure enough, they did, and they're already in the stadium. And so I had to walk a mile to the stadium, which, by the way, I was able to get on the phone with my dad and, and talk to them. Um, maybe I said that part before, at least. I don't know if I've told the story already. Anywho, dad throws the keys over the gate, get the keys, have to walk a mile back to the tailgate, get the tickets, and then walk a mile back for the game. So, um, safe to say I sweated out some of the booze that I had been, um, consuming previously to that. But, anywho, very stressful situation. You're trying to get into the stadium and things like that start happening. It's like, oh, no. You know, I've been waiting years for this, and we almost didn't get into the game. So, <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, that's um, yeah. So we both had some um, kind of bad luck with our tickets the past two weeks. We both did. So hopefully that's out of our system. Yeah, uh, just forward. like that's not yeah, a conference just, play for you, though, right? I mean, you're trying to prepare for exactly know, play, and those things happen. Exactly, and hopefully Penn State got its worst half of football out of the way during 
for the Central Michigan game as well. Yeah, well, let's get into it, Sean, because what? to be honest with you, I saw the Twitter inferno. There's like multiple reasons why people were upset on Twitter, which is normal. People are mad online all the time. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, just from the tweets alone, I was able to catch like we all took lunch around right before Penn State went to halftime. So I saw, saw like the last drive before half, uh, but that was it. So I was really relying off of what Maddie was texting me, and she accidentally called Brenton Strange Stone for some reason. Brenton Stone. She said Stone caught a touchdown pass. I'm like, I'm not an expert, but I don't think we have anybody on our team named Stone. Uh, I don't don't think that's a player, but she's like, yeah, I don't know why I said Stone. But um, (laughs) that was what I was relying on for for updates. So not not great, but I appreciate her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also Twitter. And so... Based off of Twitter, you would have thought Pence, like Sean Clifford was missing wide open guys left and right. And so going into, you know, watching this game after the fact, I was waiting for this like complete meltdown in the second quarter from Sean Clifford. And in my in my honest, like I, I try to look at this straight up and I was like, and I know bias wise, I'm going to defend him a little bit more than other people. But uh, I don't know where people got that from. Now, if you look strictly at the completions versus attempts, yes. But then you start breaking down this. I think he ended up going one for eight at one point. And in that one for eight, he had one. I got him right here. Let me see. I got one. I guess we're going to call it an overthrow. If we're going to be really critical, we could say it's his fault. Although I watched it a couple times, and I think Omari Evans slowed down on that long touchdown run or attempt in the end zone. Uh, It looked like Omari Evans didn't think he was going to get the ball, and then he realized it was too late. Because it's really hard to overthrow Mari Evans. He's he's really fast. So whatever. If you want to call that one against Sean, fine. But I don't. Uh, then there's the drop to Trey Wallace on third and four. Then there's the drop to Mitch Tinsley on fourth and four. The next pass on the next drive was a batted ball at the line of scrimmage. He was trying to get it out to Singleton on a screen. The next throw was he was hit when he was – he, he kind of got out of the pocket a little bit. Tinsley was open on the sideline. He got hit as he was throwing the ball. Just didn't quite get there. Um, I'm going to put that again, half on him, half on, you know, just not having enough time. So if you want to call that a full one now, depending on what you think of the overthrow, that was a bad one. Um, he had an overthrow on a second two, uh, to Parker Washington. That ended up being the roughing the passer play. So it was nullified anyway, but that second and two was predetermined. He was going to throw that ball pretty much no matter what had a wide open guy in the flat. Didn't matter. He was chucking it. Uh, it was, it wasn't even close. So that that was okay. We'll call that a bad throw, even though it was nullified. And then there's one really bad throw to start the final drive before the half to Tinsley, where he had pretty much all the field to his left on that post route, and he just threw it a little high and just a little bit too close, didn't lead him enough. That was to me a bad throw. Um, but then he comes right back. He threw he threw a, a nice pass to Tinsley, like the next play on third and ten. Uh, and then I thought the throw at the second to last play of the half that he had to Tinsley went literally right through Tinsley's hands. And I don't know if we're doing this comparison to, to Jahan Dotson, but Dotson probably catches that one. So um, then I think there was one more bad throw in the second half that I was like, yeah, that was a bad throw. So I'm not going to sit here and say Sean Clifford had a great day by any stretch of the imagination. But based off of the 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 feedback i was getting online it would it was like 
he was just missing wide open people left and right. I mean, every pass, even they were high, they were still being, you know, hands were still being placed on those things. Even one to Parker Washington, Washington probably still should have caught. Um, one to Johnson, Johnson probably still should have caught. So th- it wasn't his best day, but he still had four total touchdowns and no turnovers. I still give him like a B grade for the day. I don't know how you can go worse than a B, Sean. And I know we jumped right into the, the, the meat of it, but I, this is what's been on my mind. So I wanted to start with that. Yeah, I mean, I think to sum it up, he just wasn't as sharp yesterday as he had been the whole year. Um, so what happened was we got out to an early lead, uh, went up 14 nothing, And I think the team... Not Sean Clifford, but I think the team as a whole kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit because we had, you know, we went down, beat Auburn soundly, and then we're up 14 nothing on a 1-2 and two Central Michigan team. So in a way, it's easy to lose focus and take your eye off the ball. Georgia slept walk through the whole game against Kent State. I mean, it happens. And, yeah, sometimes your quarterback isn't going to be as sharp as you want him to be. And I think there is a segment of the fan base that no matter what Sean Clifford does, they want him out. And they convince themselves that this freshman quarterback, who I think is going to be phenomenal, by the way, is already better than Sean Clifford. And... I don't know. I mean, we just have a disagreement. I don't think he is better than Sean Clifford right now. And and that, that that's kind of where we're at. And I also want to remind Penn State fans, because it seems like some people out there have short memories. We've seen bad quarterback play at Penn State. Heck, Sean Clifford was bad in 2020. The first half of 2020, he was not good. Um... And look, I don't want to continue to name names down the list of people that I've seen, but there, there's been a lot. There's been a lot of not a lot because most years it's adequate at least. But there's been there's been quite a bit of bad quarterback play at Penn State. And yesterday, I don't think it was a bad performance. It was just uh, average, and. That would mean I right, Corey gave him B, I'll give him a B minus because um he just he wasn't himself. I actually thought uh if if you remember that didn't go down as an incompletion, but it kind of ruined the play. There was a bubble screen to Parker Washington and Clifford threw it way higher than it needed to be. On that kind of throw, you have to hit him perfectly because Parker's gotta be able to get that ball and go. And you can't I, make yes. him jump or go yes. low on that. Or that I actually circled that in my notes. That was yeah, that, that to me was actually his worst throw of the game. Yeah, and I thought he had a couple other throws where the ball placement just wasn't good. Uh, I know that the, the play at the end of the first half you're talking about, I agree, Tinsley should have had the ball because that was really the only place Cliff could put it to complete it, and Tinsley just didn't come down to catch. It would have been a tough catch, but he just, you know, he didn't hang on to it. And I know you said Jahan probably catches that. Well, I mean, Jahan is unbelievable. I mean, he's... He might be yeah. the GOAT <laughs> so, um, at, at Penn State. So, overall, wasn't thrilled by Clifford's play, but I really wasn't thrilled by anybody's play except Katron Howells yesterday. That's a, that's a good point. And an Ida Sons. 
That's a good point. I don't think anyone really had their best day. And I didn't think the receivers had their best day. I thought, uh, you know, like I said, Trey Wallace had a drop. I, Tinsley had a couple drops. I mean, even a, even if we're going to be fair to, to Aller, too, somehow, someway, Tinsley's got to come down with that ball in the end zone on that kind of fade route that Aller mm-hmm. threw. That was a beautiful throw. Perfect. Um, yep. And that's another thing. Like, people are against Cl- – or people that are for Clifford are pointing to – Drew's stat line and saying, well, he's, you know, what he ended up two for four or whatever it was. I'm like, well, don't even do it the other way because honestly, that was a really good throw. We don't care about Drew's stat line. We want to, we just want to see good throws and whatever happens, happens. And that's really how Clifford should be viewed too. Uh, but that's just not the case. So yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anybody had a crazy good day. Well, at least on offense, had a crazy good day. Um, I thought Caden Wallace had a pretty good day. He had a couple big pancake blocks. Uh, if anything, I thought maybe the interior had a worse day uh, than expected along the offensive line. I thought, uh, are you comfortable leaving the Clifford Aller? Or is there anything else you want to talk about with that before we move on from that? Uh, not really. I, I thought um, Aller's sack. I don't think he had any idea that linebacker was. No, missed. I'm so glad you're bringing up so many yes. points that I had written down. Yeah, and I that mean, right I there think he just missed it, but that's a freshman. They're going to miss that sometimes. That was a perfect – I'm glad you brought that up because I had that in my notes too. That play to me was like the most like obvious, oh, yeah, he's a freshman. And and him going into the big house, maybe not the best thing when he can't figure out that those blitzers – those blitzes are coming. Or that third and ten also before the half that Sean Clifford could have taken off and he stopped right before the line of scrimmage and found Tinsley on the backside post. Like – Drew Aller probably doesn't make that play. Like, not that he physically couldn't, but he just probably doesn't make that play. And those, those are the little things that, that add up over the course of, you know, a game that is really important. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Any other thoughts there before we move on to other offensive pieces? No, um, I just, I would caution fans. I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, uh, like a lot of things in life, uh, politics is like this, too. People just take their camps. And they don't deviate from their camp. So I have a feeling nobody really switched side, quote unquote, switched sides today. But like Corey said, just evaluate the quarterback position for what it is. Sean Clifford made some good throws yesterday. He also made some bad throws. And Drew Aller, Drew Aller made some mistakes. He, he also did some good things. So just try to be, I would advise the fans, try to be less in a camp and more just pro Penn State, pro what we're doing. I know that sounds a little campy, but. That's really what I think. No, I think that's I think that's good. Um, yeah, I want to talk offensive line because I don't think they had their best day. I think if anybody kind of slept, walked through this one, I thought the offensive line sort of did. Again, I don't, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I really thought Caden Wallace had a pretty good day as far as I saw a couple of pancake blocks. Thought he did some good things in the run game, but in te- you know interior and also if we're gonna be fair, maybe Olu Fashano's worst game. Like not bad, but he I don't think he he had his best day. He didn't have his best stuff either. But Sal Warmly, meh. Good moments, bad moments, but I thought there was some inconsistency there. Drew Scruggs, who we haven't really mentioned for bad moments very often. He he got beat really bad on one play, uh, but he had a couple bad moments. Uh Landon Tangwall had some really bad moments in that one too. And I don't know. How much I saw. Who am I forgetting on uh, the other guard spot that I want to mention? You know, there was a number 56 who was in. 
and I checked my roster, and I have no idea who that guy is. I think it might be J.B. Nelson, but I don't want to say. Because, of course, you know, the PA announcer is not going to acknowledge the guard. Um, and it, he wasn't on a roster, so I have no idea who played at. I think he played left guard, but he could have played. He played one of the guard spots. Do you know oh. who that is? No. 56. 56, yeah. I tried checking the program, and the only 56 list is a mean man over. I know it's not him. Uh, No, yeah, I don't know who that is. It, it sure was 56. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I said to my girlfriend, I was like, I don't know who that guy is. Um, we'll have to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe someone's I, jersey got bloody? That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, could be. Could I don't be. know. Um, yeah, I I think Sal Warmly opened up, uh, talking about the other guys, Sal Warmly opened up a, a hole for uh, Katron Allen um, on that I think he on that long run that he had, but yeah, I mean, overall, I thought the offensive line was pretty average. Um, but again, I, I think this could happen. Uh, I think you have to take everything into the aggregate. We're now surprisingly, I mean, it doesn't feel like it. We're a third of the way through the season. We were three and zero, went up fourteen nothing early, and I think they just didn't bring their A game, and it sucks, but didn't cost us a win. And I think it's a good sign for a team overall when the fans seem kind of bummed and we still won by 19 points. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, we got to be, you, it's obvious to see that, you know, they're wearing out the defensive line, which we never had seen before. I mean, you look at the yards per rush in that first half versus the second half. I mean, they wore out Central Michigan up front, which is cool mm-hmm. to see. Uh, but I just, and, and maybe I was too harsh cause like they were, offensive line was good. Like they, they did what they had to do. I think central Michigan technically only had one sack and that was against Aller. Correct. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Which I couldn't believe till I went back and looked, but yeah, they only had one sack and it was that one we talked about with Aller, but I still thought Cliff took too many hits. He did. And, and there was a couple runs where he only picked up a yard or two, but again, that's, that's just the difference, right? I mean, that's. He's able to maybe throw a ball that we all think was a bad throw, but he's just throwing it away. Or he can run for a yard or two, and 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 that just is a that just kind of keeps you a little bit more on schedule. So, um, so really, as far as the starters are concerned, another week of not ha- allowing a sack, which is nice to see. Um, and again, they they did move people in the second half. I mean. Even and to be fair, even a little bit in the first half. I mean, we can kind of get into it now. Nick Singleton didn't have his best day, and I really thought it was because of how much success he had in the Auburn game. It looked like he was trying to hit the home run. He was bouncing it outside a little bit more than he had previously, and there were holes open even in the first half that he just he just he just decided to bounce it outside. So I think that will be corrected pretty easily. But Katron Allen was hitting those holes, and it was the Katron Allen coming out party, and and I mean he squeezes through those holes he has such great vision and then i mean it's just so fluid and easy for him i said this we were just texting a second ago and i was like he's like a faster and slightly more elusive version of what noah kane was before noah kane unfortunately had that knee injury i mean he just he has pretty good vision and when he gets downhill he goes and and yeah he's he, he this was a great game for him but i mean he just he found the lanes right mm-hmm yeah, third straight game with the Penn State back over 100 yards. Uh, you love to see that. 
Uh, Gotta be honest, I didn't love Mike Yersich's play calling in the first half. It just felt like we went to the air too much. I I don't know why you have Clifford throw the ball 25 times in the first half of a game against Central Michigan, but, you know, worked out. And Katron, I mean, the IMG experience, and we've talked about IMG a lot, um, it's important. Um, it's, uh, I think that's very vital in a guy's development to go to a place where those guys, where you really, you kind of live like a college student in high school. So I think he just seems more prepared than Nick Singleton. And that's not a knock on Nick Singleton at all, but I think he's probably the more complete back right now. But Singleton's your home run guy, so you got to play him a lot. You got you got to start him. But uh, Katron Allen just seems really, really prepared, and yeah, knowing where to go. Yeah, he is, and knowing where knowing where those holes are. And a guy like Singleton, like you said, he's you know a lot of times he's looking for the home run ball, and and that that's what he does. But but uh, Allen is just much more, he, he's much more um, aware of how to find those holes when it doesn't look like they're there, but they are. So I'm, I've been very, very impressed by Katron, by Katron Allen this, so far this year. And he's, you know, don't get surprised if when we're playing a Michigan, we're playing a Minnesota or Ohio State, if Katron Allen's the guy in the fourth quarter. Because he, you know, that they've been going with the hot hand late, uh, late in games, and Kate John Allen might be the might be that guy in one or heck, who knows, maybe even all of them. It's a little bit of thunder and lightning, right? I mean, you run Allen and he beats you up inside, and then Singleton comes in when you're tired, and he just runs away from everybody. So, it's a good problem to have, Sean. I want to read out the rushing stats again because it's, I think, important that we're not taking it for granted how much better they are than last year and. Uh, Katron Allen, 13 rushes, 111 yards, 8.5 yards per carry, one touchdown, long of 37. Nick Singleton, 12 rushes for 42 yards, 3.5 yards per carry, long of 21. Sean Clifford, five carries for 23 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, one touchdown, long of 15. And then Geraller was sacked one time for a six-yard loss. Sean, those three guys, Allen, Singleton, and Clifford, their longest run of the day, all three of them, including Clifford's, was longer than any run that Penn State had last season. Wow, that that is some big J journalism right there. That's um, nuts. Yeah, and like you said, it just underscores, um, you know, it underscores that, yeah, the line is opening up bigger holes, but, you know, something that I've said previously, it's also on the back to, the backs to be able to find those holes and be able to accelerate through them. And we're just doing a much better job of that uh, already this year than we did than we did all of last year. So, and you know, it was it was really beaten to death last year. We didn't have a hundred yard rusher. Then the Purdue game happened. We still didn't have a hundred yard rusher in the game. And you start worrying. You're like, all right, when when's this going to happen? And then the last three games, uh, like clockwork, we've had one. And uh, the 100-yard rusher twice was Nick Singleton, and now it's the other freshman, Katron Allen. So I really, really like the way this running back room is trending right now. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to start, you know, blow, shoot my own horn here too much, but I think, 
the offensive line deserves a lot of credit because they are moving people a lot more than we'd seen. I mean, like you said, three rush, three straight games with a rusher over 100 yards. Um, that's just, I mean, that's night and day difference. And that, and God, the play action uh, rollout where they have the tight end in the flat and they have, you know, another tight end kind of on that flag and then they have the receiver mm-hmm. coming over and across. I mean, they play, they were not play like three times, four times a game. And it's like the bread and butter almost at this point. And really, I don't know if anyone stopped it yet. I mean, they, they, they've taken away the receiver that dump it off in the flat. Yeah. They take away was, the flat. They wait a second. They get the receiver over the middle. Yeah. And that was wide open the whole game. Every time they ran that play, there is at least two guys open and it makes for an easy throw. So um, and you're going to keep, you're going to keep seeing that. Like Corey said, it's, it's going to be probably the bread and butter of this offense. As long as we keep running the ball, like we've been able to. Yeah. As long as you can run it, the, um, they have to honor it. And when Clifford makes those throws, I mean, you can see the confidence oozing out of him on those throws. He likes kind of being on a little bit of a run and he just throws lasers on those every time. So um, that was good to see. I can't believe we made it 29 minutes. I haven't talked about Brenton Strange yet. I saw you gave him some love on Twitter, but this dude has, has blocked extremely well, and he has really kind of been rewarded with touchdowns and, and big plays. I don't know why he keeps trying to hurdle people, but he just continues to be open. I thought the touchdown passed him. By the way, Clifford made a great throw in that touchdown pass to him right where it had to be. Uh, yep. Obviously, the, the, the first one he had was a little bit easier, but that he's kind of becoming the safety blanket. We kind of talked about him last week, kind of being that safety blanket, but it's becoming more and more apparent that he is kind of the guy on offense right now. Yeah, he's he's might be, and God, I, I now I feel bad that I said everybody on offense struggled except Kachon Allen. That's not true. Brent Strange had another great game, and he has been so steady Eddie this whole season, and. I kind of thought, and this guy is, has had injuries, I kind of thought Theo Johnson was going to have the kind of year Brent Strange is having. Uh, but it's Brenton Strange doing it. And I, I've, I've really, really loved it. And I think he's slowly probably building a draft stock. And I don't think he was really on anybody's radar to be doing this at this point, to be doing that at this point in the season. But he's he's improved his blocking uh, quite a bit uh, between last year and this year, and he's always he seems to be either always open or more than willing to go up and get those contested contested balls. So I love what I'm seeing from Brent Strange. I think he's having a fantastic op- uh, start to the season. I think it's hard to imagine he goes any if he falls past the second round. Honestly, I think. Uh, Franklin had a good point about this in last week's press conference about how he's not getting enough love and some of these tight ends are really just big receivers. This, that's a perfect example for Brendan Strange. Like this guy is doing the dirty work, playing the tight end position like it was meant to be played, and he's being rewarded with with catches. And he's not going crazy or anything. He's not do, putting Kyle Pitts numbers up, but which, by the way, Kyle Pitts should have never been labeled as a tight end even in college. Um, but he's doing exactly what you want, and he isn't getting as much attention as he deserves. But, yeah, he's uh, he's been electric. So I, I'm curious to see how much Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren kind of play into that because 
it's kind of like having a hot hand. And also, Strange is blocking. There's no reason to take him off the field, right? And I mean, that's that's a big bonus when you yep. know you're the guy, the personnel grouping, the defense sees Strange out there. They don't know if it's a run or pass, and that's a big boost. Like, just think about previous years. Like Mike Isecki's out there. Like mm, in uh, third and three, if Mike Isecki's out there. They're probably not leaving him out there to block, so it might be a pass. Third and three, Brenton Strange's out there. You have no idea because they've hit you on a home run through the air, and they've hit you with a home run on the ground in those situations. So he, him playing the way he's playing provides a whole nother level uh, for Mike Yersich to attack defenses. So I'm sure Yersich is ecstatic about that. Sure, and in a way I think Brenton Strange kind of personifies the balance of this offense. Because you're right, you could trust him. You know, we got to pick up those tough two or three yards that previous years we haven't been able, that we, we've really struggled picking up consistently. And you don't have to worry about, oh, I hope the tight end could get in there and block. Now, now Fryermuth was a good blocker as well, but, you know, you couldn't even trust the offensive line, so how could you even trust the tight ends? And the last couple, like last year, I didn't think the tight ends blocked well at all. So he's really taken a step forward in that department and his pass catching skills have improved. So, yeah, I don't think there's enough good things to be said about uh, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson made a catch on Saturday to move the chain. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think and, and you know, he took advantage of Theo Johnson being out. So you got to give him credit. I should mention at least Tyler Warren. Got a little gimpy there at the end with a hamstring. Don't think it's anything serious, but I did see that towards the end. I'm curious if that's anything to pay attention to moving forward. Um, yeah, overall, yeah, I, I think, Sean, to go back to your point from a couple minutes ago about the play calling, I don't know how much that was just Yursich trying a couple different things. Like he came out five wide a couple more times than maybe you'd expect in those situations. Um, but I, I wouldn't think too much into it. But we'll have to wait and see there. Otherwise, you know, they did what they had to do. And when they had that chance, when it was tied 14-14, defense got a big stop. They got the ball at the 35-yard line after a good return by Washington. They did what they had to do. They had to step onto the throat, and they did that. That's really what you want to see. Um, I was happy to see that. Um, and then Drew Drew Aller did, what you know, whatever you expect him to do. Um I don't think there's anyone else I desperately wanted to talk about offensively. Um, you have anything else offensively you want to go over? Um, I think we should just beat the quarterback competition to death some more. We can do that for another hour if you want. <laughs> I, I'm I'm being a little sarcastic. Uh, Liam Clifford had had uh, had a nice catch from from Drew Aller though. In all seriousness, so. Like to like to see him uh, getting getting a touch there. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, not not a, not not a whole lot. You I think, think he's we, probably we going towards redshirt route for him. I, I think guess, he already redshirt. Yeah, I guess he already has used his. So, because that was the yeah. first that was the first game we've seen him, right? Um, no, I think he got in the Ohio game, and I think he fumbled. Oh, that's right. Okay, remember that? Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Good. He got it back, but he fumbled. That's right. Okay. I'm trying to keep track of all these guys. Um, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to mention. Um, I was just going to say overall, just for the season now, just to put the final bow on the Clifford conversation, he 
is currently on the season. 64% completion, 890 yards, eight touchdowns, one interception, passer rating of 148.9, which, by the way, Sean, last time he had a passing rating that high, 2019, when it was 148.5. 2020 and 2021, it was both in the 130s. So it's gone up by 10 points, which I don't know the scale of how much better that is. Uh, But completion percentage is up about 5% from those previous years. It's actually up 14% from 2019, which is just nuts. Um, And then I wanted to say also he's got a pretty solid day running, too. He's got a touchdown rushing, technically. I know you don't like giving him credit for QB sneaks, but he has a rushing touchdown in every single game so far. Yeah. Um, And, guys, it's okay to say he's off to a good start. And the thing that I'm most happy with is he only has one interception. And no, no fumbles. So he's taking care of the ball. And that's really what I like to see. I, I think I, I didn't like to see, you know, the lull that him and the offense fell into. Um, that's been something we've seen since 2019, really, where the offense just kind of stops working. <laughs> and I, I didn't think it was all on Cliff either, but, you know, he wasn't particularly sharp. And really nobody was. So, you know, but that and this was all in the second quarter uh, and really not just second quarter, but after we scored the the, the uh, second touchdown. Um, so that's something that I hope they could clean up. But, yeah, it's OK to say he's off to a good start of the season, guys. Yeah, I think the lull wasn't. It was magnified because Central Michigan was scoring, but I don't think it was nearly as lulling as it could have it wasn't i mean it, they weren't going three and out every time which is an improvement just getting a first down i mean the one time for for instance that lull during the lull they at least moved the ball enough where they were able to punt and ch- flip the field position which then set up their next drive where they scored mm-hmm. so e- even if you're not going to be scoring if you can at least move you know get two first downs before you punt that's a huge difference than going three and out so I, I agree, Sean. Yeah. Like they they do need to score. Like they don't want to go into those lulls. But I think maybe the floor on those those lulls. I've mean, we said lulls enough time. Um, I feel like the floor <laughs> has gone up at least a little bit. Which and that's pretty much because they can run the ball more. Um, yeah, because was, in years past, yeah, a lot of times you'd be turning the ball over during one of those lulls, and we didn't do that. That's true. And and that's a good way to finally. I I think you had a good point about Clifford. And I just want to ask everybody that that's on the the anti-Clifford train. If Drew Aller wasn't backing up Clifford right now, let's just say Taquan Roberson was still the backup. I don't think anybody would be talking about how iffy Clifford's been. I think people would be the whole storyline right now, not even just internally for Penn State fans, but nationally would be how good Sean Clifford's been because that was a storyline last year at this point in the season and about how he'd been taking care of the football and he, uh, you know, in big moments, he's stepping up and all this stuff. And we keep seeing that over and over in hostile environments in third downs, Clifford, I don't know I don't have the number, but Clifford's done a fantastic job on third downs, obvious passing situations, setting protections, giving himself some extra time, and then typically throwing a really good ball uh, to his receivers. So I don't know. I think if people didn't have, Drew Aller to to 
lean back on right now to fall back onto, I think they'd they'd be viewing this differently. They'd have a different perspective on it because you could argue, Sean. No, I don't think you could argue. I think it's a fact that he's even having a better year right now than he had last year before he got hurt, which, I mean, it makes sense given the running game, given Mike Yersich year two and all those things, but nobody wants to really talk about those things, and it's kind of silly at this point. Yeah, I would say so. I think he's playing he's he's playing at a pretty high level right now. Now, and there's a lot of talk about, well, Clifford's not elite. All right, um, there aren't a ton of elite quarterbacks, which, and that kind of makes sense logically, because elite means best of the best, like the creme de la creme. And yeah, Sean Clifford's not that. That's true, but I don't think Drew Aller's elite right now. I mean, do, do people really think he is? He he's he was an elite prospect out of high school, but in 2022 playing in the Big Ten, I, I don't think he's an elite quarterback yet. And he very well might be uh, someday, but I don't think he is right now. Um, but do I think Sean Clifford's playing at a decently high level right now? Yeah. he's um, And I know Aiden O'Connell was hurt. He's having a better start to the year than Aiden O'Connell did, has. And people thought, myself included, he was the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh Talia Tagovailoa, he he struggled. He struggled yesterday against Michigan. Uh, now, I I think what is I think what's kind of fair is to say that the competition that we played so far, it hasn't been the best. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the wins because we had to go on the road and beat two Power Five teams, uh, both in pretty tough environments. But it's fair to say that you know when. We'll see what happens when competition picks up. I think that's fair. But right now, he's off to a good start. To be a top 25 quarterback in college football, you just don't do dumb things. I mean, that's the bottom line. You don't do dumb things. Good way to, good way to put it. Things are going to be okay, typically. And it's just hard to not do dumb things when you're a college football quarterback. That's just the nature of the beast. So I agree with you. And... I think, oh, man, it just the point just slipped right away from me. You're talking about, you know, oh, that's what I was going to say. We had this conversation in the summer. Someone asked us, a fan asked us, which is cool to say that, by the way, a fan asked us. Um, fan asked us, I think it was actually Grant LeChat, to be honest with you, as the person I asked. I don't know why I kind of remembered that all of a sudden. Grant asked us which quarterbacks in the Big Ten you would take over Sean Clifford. And this was before the season started. And we love that question. Um, I kind of thought about that question again today because now that we've seen some of these guys play against some better teams, I think that's maybe changed around. Like you look at Peyton Thorne. I think I said I would take Peyton Thorne over Sean Clifford. I'm not taking Peyton Thorne over Sean Clifford today. Um, Tagovailoa, maybe, maybe. McCarthy, maybe. Maybe Tanner Morgan, if you're believing in that situation, but... I think the list maybe got a little bit shorter. And I mean, you could, I guess, I mean, we've, I think we both said it, we would take Aiden O'Connell over Sean Clifford. But honestly, now, and obviously O'Connell was hurt against FAU and, and he didn't do bad against Penn State. But I think I'd take Clifford over O'Connell. And I, I may know that might be wrong, but um, if O'Connell, if Clifford had that throw that O'Connell had, that Daquan Hardy broke up, 
people would be burning Sean Clifford's dorm down because of that. I mean, just saying. So I, I think the list, that question was, I thought something that I wanted to bring up again, because I think that list of who you would swap out. Um, and obviously, if you don't remember the question, not including CJ Stroud, that's why I didn't mention him. Um, I think that list is a little bit shorter, Sean. Yeah, right now it is. And look, all these lists are pretty, it depends on when you're doing them, because I think it's good to revisit it during the year, and then we'll probably do it after the year. Like, I was kind of tough on Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan's off to a good start this season. Um, maybe it's having Kirk Scirocco back, who even Probably having Mo Ibrahim back, too. Of course. It's amazing course. how quarterbacks are better when they have a running game. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, honestly. And, like, Scirocco, I never thought Scirocco was a bad coach. Never. Even when he was at Penn State. Did, did I think the quarterback draws with Will Levis were a bit excessive because we all knew exactly what was going to happen? Kind of. But overall, I didn't I didn't really think our problems were really with him. But at the same time, I understand why we got Mike Yersich. But all right, that's my Shraka tangent. Um, but yeah, Tanner Morgan's off to a good start. CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud. Um, but yeah, I mean, that second guy. I mean, I had Kate McNamara ahead of um, Sean Clifford going into the season. And I, I did that because... Cade got Michigan in the playoffs, and that's further than Sean Clifford ever got us. I mean, but right now, Cade McNamara is the backup, so I think by default, you got to put Clifford over him. Um, yeah, Peyton Thorne hasn't been good to start the season. So right now, I think you got to put Clifford over him. I mean, maybe you have Tonga Vailoa over Cliff. Maybe you have um, Tara Morgan, who I was just talking about, but it's all pretty close. Um, I also think they only have the Big Ten only has one elite quarterback in the conference, and there's some good ones, there's some bad ones, and the good ones are kind of all together, and then the bad ones are at the back. So, and that they're all kind of thrown together, but there's only one elite guy in the Big Ten right now. You're not taking Spencer Petras over Sean Clifford. Uh, he's one of the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we beat the horse pretty dead on, on that. But I think it's an important one because, God damn it, Penn State fans, like, calm down for a second and just enjoy the game. Like, God, I just, I honestly, when I was like, okay, I know Twitter can be Twitter and you got to be careful about whatever you're reading on Twitter. But, I mean, I literally thought he was just missing blatantly open receivers left and right. And, and we had seen that before from Clifford. And you're right. Like, go back and look. Like, we've seen Sean Clifford play poorly. But don't start acting like every time there's an incomplete pass, it should have been a touchdown. So that that's all I want to say about that. Let's move on to the defense. Defense, it's a different scheme, Sean. But it's the same kind of bend but don't break mentality. I think they gave up 360 yards on defense. Again, they played a lot of guys and kept a lot of guys fresh. I don't really know how much we saw all the starters on the field, to be honest with you. Um, four turnovers, again, that was not a, me recording from the Auburn game. That, that's again, first time since 2012 that they've had back-to-back four turnover takeaway games, which it was brought to you by Audrey Snyder, I should mention. Um, they looked good. I mean, I don't know why teams continue to try to throw the ball on Penn State. 
especially I really thought Central Michigan was going to really try to run the ball more. And they didn't really. I mean, they, there was one drive there, that second scoring drive they had, where I think they ran it more. But I really thought they were going to run the ball more, and they didn't. And I don't really know if Penn State's been tested yet. We thought they were going to get tested in the running game against Auburn. That didn't really happen. And, and I mean, it did, but you know what I'm saying. And not, not to like the degree of if they played Wisconsin, I guess is my point. And I still don't really know if they've been tested through the ground, but people keep throwing the ball against them and they keep picking them off. There should have actually been a fifth interception if it wasn't for a penalty or a fifth turnover if it wasn't for the, the penalty at the end of the game there. But I mean, Kalen King played one of his best games, I thought. Johnny Dixon played one of his best games, I thought. Zaki Wheatley continues to be around the ball all the time. Jair Brown, I thought, played really well in the box. Uh, the secondary looks phenomenal. Curtis Jacobs, I thought, flew around again. Uh, Chop Robinson was disruptive again. Sean, the defense looks really good, but again, people keep dropping back to pass. And to me, that's like going against a Tom Bradley defense and trying to run it against them 25 times. Like this, this is a different Penn State defense. Like 2000 and whatever, 10, you might have been able to, you know, you could have gone Houston uh, against us and, and thrown the ball over the yard in the Ticket City Bowl. You can't do that anymore. You can't drop back and throw it 40 times and expect to beat this Penn State defense. Yeah, uh, I think we have 42 pass breakups right now. And the next, and that leads the country. I think the next closest has 25. And so that's, I think those 42 are already more than we had last season combined. Yeah, I, I believe so too. Um, so that's, I mean... <laughs> So that tells you a few things. Number one, we have our defensive backs playing at a high level right now. And number two, I, I don't get why teams keep throwing against them. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I get Purdue because that's Purdue's offense. They've even back in the Joe Taylor days when they had Drew Brees, they would throw the ball a million times. Penn State would always beat Drew Brees because they couldn't run the ball. And that's kind of still how Purdue is. So I, I guess I get them, like Ohio, Auburn, and Central Michigan, who has the guy who led the, the, led the country in rushing yards last year. They're trying to air it out against Penn State. I mean, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> um, and look, this is another, this is another week where uh, Penn State held – held their opponent to uh, – they, they held in 14 points. Uh, so they're keeping those points per game low. Uh, like you said, creating turnovers. That's what Manny Diaz – that's what Manny Diaz's defense do, defenses do. Um, Got to say, I wish they're – so far during the season, I wish we had more sacks. I know we have 12, but I believe six or seven of them came against Auburn. And we had two this week, and they were both by Deny Dennis Sutton, who we're big fans of, but his last drive of the game. So I, I was kind of – excuse me? J Jacobs had one too. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah, Curtis Sorry. Jacobs had one. Um, yeah, I still kind of wish we had a little bit more um, than two in garbage time and one during the game, but – and one during uh, when the game uh, wasn't in hand yet. But, you know, I, I think that's something that, that'll come because we were still hurrying the quarterback quite a bit. Uh, but I just wish we were able to finish the job and get some sacks. But 
happy we're turning it up in the in the turnover department. Um, I thought I thought PJ Mustafer had a solid game. Um, and I thought we did a good job containing Lou Nichols. There were a couple times where he found some holes, but he's a good running back. Wouldn't surprise me to see him maybe even make an NFL roster when he yeah. when he's eligible to go. I think so. I thought we did a decent job holding him in check. He had a nice thought, he had a really nice cut on the one run. I was mm-hmm. watched, I was like, wow, that was that was just a really good play. Yeah, you could tell he's legit. He's good. Uh you can just usually tell. Uh Richardson, I thought he was all right, but it seemed like he threw a lot of ducks. And his receivers, I gotta give Central Michigan's receivers a lot of credit. They made some awesome catches. Their their tight end Wilson really, really impressed me. Yeah, I think um, he's gonna play on Sundays too. He he had a yeah. knack for catching the ball. Yeah, there were some times where we had good coverage on them, but they made great catches. And if if you ever play defensive back or you're familiar with defensive back, you know that you can only do so much sometimes. If the other guy makes a great play, I mean, sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders and say, well, he made that one. Um, So, yeah, overall, I thought the defense played pretty good. Uh, Again, they were also part of the second quarter lull. Didn't. They got they got burnt a couple times. Um, I think one of the questions for this week, uh, hint, hint, uh, coming up, is about crossing. Uh, how we're having tr- some trouble here and there with crossing routes. So I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but overall, I liked how we played, especially on the outside. Yeah, yeah. I just looked up. I was just curious what the sack team sack leaders are and everything. Penn State's tied twenty third right now with eleven. And Alabama's at 12. So I, I think, you know, we're, I'm, not, I'm not, like, concerned, like, we don't have enough sacks or anything like that. And I think we're right where we need to be. I think you're right. We could have had more. But it's also, like, getting pressure and not getting home leads to turnovers, too. Like, if you're always sacking them and the ball's not getting sure. out, you can't have an interception. So I, I think it's a pretty good mix. Uh, and, and, again, the pressure's been there. The pressure – because that was something, Sean, we talked about, I guess – after the Ohio game, yeah, uh, I even said I'm getting a little worried about the lack of sacks and the lack of turnovers. And then what do they do? They have eight turnovers since then. So uh, I think that's a good sign. On top of that, and this is something maybe Josh Pate brought up, these are not giveaways. These are takeaways. And there's an important distinction here. The, these are not unforced errors like the when i think of unforced error i'm thinking like auburn and last season when uh kobe hudson literally just fumbled the ball on that reverse thing and we got the ball like yeah we did a good job i guess of maybe keeping containment but he he just literally dropped the football don't think we've really had any of those well i should take that back one unforced one i guess the muffed punt we'll, we'll call that a an unforced one that might be the only one this year and the first interception, really good force. I mean, I think it was uh, Jair Brown had the pressure, and Wheatley made the play on the, on the ball that was a duck throw. And you're right, by the way, Richardson had a lot of those. Another maybe even better one was Kalen King's forced fumble. And by the way, if that's an ESPN game, they probably overturned that as, uh, as he was down. But they literally didn't have the camera angle. They only had one camera angle, and they couldn't see the ball. And by the way, Matt Millen was terrible, like as expected. I mean, he was awful. And I, again, love the dude as who he is, but not a good commentator. 
Uh, and he literally says, oh, they're going to overturn this. And as soon as he says they're going to overturn it, they, they said the play stands, which was so funny. Um, but anywho, <laughs> that there was a lot of forcing. Thing. I mean, literally, Joey Porter Jr., maybe too much, but he goes for the strip every time. And then they're they're getting really good at holding people up and trying to rip the ball out. So they're they're coming after people, and I think to a certain degree, there's gonna there's a little bit of a reputation. I mean, if everybody knows you're you know they're trying to get Penn State's trying to get the ball from you, you run a little bit differently, right? It's the same thing when a running back has fumbled the ball; like they run a little bit differently, and so that can be good. Sometimes it can be bad, but I'd usually I'd say it's a good thing. So. They're tenacious right now, and uh, and God, I really wish Joey Porter Jr. Two really close interceptions. I wish both were were interceptions because they would have been beautiful to watch over and over. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. had the really good break on the ball, just couldn't get his other arm on it. Man, he has freakishly long arms. And then Abdul Carter, I don't even know if it was – I think it was technically a screen. I don't really know what it was. Again, it was a duck throw, so it's hard to tell. It might have been a wheel route. I don't really know what the throw or the route was supposed to be. Supposed to, Joey Porter Jr. was actually on coverage, but the ball never got there. Abdul Carter broke it off. And, again, if he could get somehow catch that ball, I mean, that, that would have been gorgeous. So, yeah, they're flying all over the field. I am not concerned anymore as far as the takeaways and sacks go moving forward, Sean. Yeah. Um, according to this guy on the Lions 24-7 message board, so take what's a grain of salt. Um, Jair Brown before the game, like an hour before the game. Now, I wasn't in the stadium yet. I was still drinking the White Claws. But apparently before the game, he was really working hard uh, with the GA, just intercepting the ball on the sideline over and over and over and over again. And the guy was like, it wasn't just like, you know, they're playing around or something. Like, they're very, very serious about it. And I think, you know, you could say with, Let me put it this way. I think Penn State fans have a certain kind of defense they're used to. And it's not this. Because going back to the Joe days, going to Bob Shoup, going to um, even O'Brien and uh, Brent Pride, they all kind all the defenses were very, very similar. And that you know, there, there's a lot of zone. There wasn't as much man as we play now. And it wasn't, none of them were as nearly as aggressive as they are now. And with aggressive defenses could come, you know, you could give up some big plays here and there. There's a lot more putting defensive ends in coverage. That's something that you never, ever saw in, in under previous defensive coordinators. And there's so much emphasis now on getting turnovers and getting after the quarterback and don't get me wrong we had some great defenses in in the past for sure but it's just a whole different philosophy than anybody who's ever who's ever really watched Penn State football is used to so I think there's some patience that needs to come with it and I think that patience is already starting to show up to, to, to um to come to to I guess come to fruition, like we're doing, we're executing the defense. And you know, is there a big play here and there? Yeah, occasionally. Um, but getting those turnovers are so big, and especially when you have in your secondary uh, 
three safeties that are playing at a very high level right now and three cornerbacks that are playing at a high level. And like Corey said, a lot of those pressures, they force bad balls. Um, And when you have a secondary that is as ball hawking as these guys are, that's really going to pay off and it's going to continue to pay off. I am curious to see what this defense looks like though. This is just something that I'm kind of not concerned about, but I'm curious about how they do against a more well-balanced offense. Because so far we faced offenses like Purdue where they could throw the ball, they could throw the ball all over the yard, but they can't run the ball. And Auburn who has tank Bigsby and has, I mean, what was supposed to be an effective running game, but their quarterback situation is very bad. So I am curious to see what happens when they play a team like a Minnesota, like an Ohio State, that could do both uh, pretty well. Yeah, I'm curious too. And yeah, this defense, I mean, yeah, yards are given up. and But when you have an offense, and especially a quarterback that apparently some people still don't like, um, it's really good to have shorter field fields from time to time. And you get those it makes a difference. And also it's even when they give up bigger plays, they're still they're still doing a really good job in the red zone. Or a fantastic job in the red zone. Yes. So uh it, it's like you're getting the Brent Pry defense of bending but not breaking, but you're getting more turnovers sprinkled in. So it seems like it's the best of both worlds if that's kind of the, the approach. Again, the only stat that matters is points allowed at the end of all of it. And Sean, I made this point over text message. I think it's something that Penn State fans should think about as we get into those tougher, maybe more balanced offenses. Again, Penn State did not allow a single point in the second half. They've really done, I mean, a fantastic job in the fourth quarter. But again, they've done a really good job in the second half just playing better, making adjustments. And if that continues to happen, you got to remember that going into these other games, like, hey, Manny Diaz might have a knack for for making halftime adjustments. So uh, maybe have a little bit of faith, maybe a little second half team vibes there. So, yeah. so, so pay attention to that. Um, I guess we should talk a little bit about linebackers. I thought I didn't think Kobe King or Tyler Elston really flashed anymore. I think they both had a couple plays, but nothing crazy. I thought Abdul Carter was noticeably all around the ball even more which I don't know how that was possible after the Auburn game. But, um, yeah, he's he, – I thought if anybody, linebacker-wise, it was Carter that continued to be around the ball. That was super impressive. Uh, Dom DeLuca, I thought, had a really good game. There was a one play he had on, like, a screen. I think it was a screen. Again, a lot of the stuff they were running, it was almost hard to tell if it was a screen because it was so – everything was close to the line of scrimmage. Um, but, anywho – and he beat a blocker and made the tackle in space. It was a really – and if he doesn't make that, it's probably a first down. So I was impressed there. I thought Jalen Reed had a couple of nice tackles. I know that's not a technical linebacker, but um, he plays enough, up enough where I was impressed. Jonathan Sutherland, meh. Got burned on the tight end man coverage. I still think Jalen Reed mm-hmm. should have been over the top of that, to be honest with you. I know it was man, but I, it was still cover one. So cover one, if I'm Jalen Reed – I'm probably shadowing towards the the trip side anyway, and he wasn't. 
So he should have probably been there for that. But anywho, you can't get beat that bad if you're Jonathan Sutherland to a tight end from Central Michigan. No offense to Wilson. Was that was that Wilson too? Um, Might have been. Regardless, you can't get beat that bad. I mean, it was it wasn't even close. He just kind of he got set up. Honestly, is what it was, and it was a bunch formation, but can't let that happen. And uh, and honestly, I just didn't didn't see him do very many things. I th- I think he does. I think he's good in the fact that if there's a situation for a turnover, I think he does have a nose for the football. I want to give him credit for that because he does seem to be around the ball a lot. Um, but. Meh. I, I, I thought maybe he had a, a meh. A game where you maybe want him to take a step forward. I don't necessarily think I saw that, Sean. Yeah, I would pretty much agree because that touchdown that he gave up, he just he he didn't defend it well. Um I think he's had better games. I thought I thought he had some better games this year. Um, but this this game was probably his worst game so far, in my opinion. Um Yeah, uh Dom DeLuca continues to play pretty well. I thought Curtis Jacobs played well. Uh, and Abdul Carter continues doing Abdul Carter things. He covers he covers ground so quickly. Like, it, in a way that few guys that, I, frankly, I've seen Penn State do, where it looks like there could be a big gain, and it turns into a three-yard gain. Or it looks like a guy's going to get loose and he goes nowhere. And it's because Abdul Kyer covers so much space. So I, I was pretty impressed with him. Uh, yeah, I, I think the middle linebackers have had better games. Um, wasn't too thrilled with either of them. But, I mean, and and like and, and we talked about Sutherland. So, overall, so-so game from the linebackers. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And again, Curtis Jacobs, I thought I don't think feel like Curtis Jacobs was out there very much, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe he was. I just didn't feel. I mean, he had the he had the fumble recovery on the punt, and he had the sack, so he was out there. But I thought like he just didn't. They let Carter play a lot, so that was good to see. Um, yeah, they played them both at the same time a couple times too. They did. Okay, I I did. I was curious if they did do that. Yep. So, um, I probably should have paid attention for that more. But maybe they maybe they listening to the pot. I don't know. I think so. Hi, Manny. Hi, <laughs> Manny. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I mean, they're they're doing. Oh, do you want to talk deny Dennis Sutton a little bit more than you have? Do you just want to fanboy a little bit? Because I know both yeah. of his sacks were towards the end of the game, and he that poor left tackle. I think just wanted to go home at that point. I mean, imagine like thinking towards the end of the game. Okay, the backups are going to get in. But when you face Penn State, they're really just four and five star true freshmen that are ready to prove themselves. And they're actually maybe potentially coming at you harder than maybe the starters were, especially coming off of the Auburn game. And which, by the way, Chop Robinson didn't get a sack, but I think he got two more holding penalties and he was very disruptive. I think he was he forced a couple of the errors on the throws as well. But anywho, then Deny comes in the game, a five star guy, and you're just like, oh, Lord, I just want to go home and. Man, that guy got beat like a drum. Yeah, uh, and he then I could add another sack because he put the quarterback on his ass another time. So I thought he, I thought he, I thought he was he was awesome. And you know something like his first step, 
it reminds me a lot of when Shaka Tony was coming up, except with Shaka, he just, he wasn't blessed with the size that Denai Dennis Sutton has. And Denai, I mean, I don't think he's quite as quick as Shaka, but he, the way he comes off the ball, I mean, there's few guys who do that. And on his first sack, I believe, it felt like as soon as the ball was snapped, he was in the backfield. And the tackle had no chance against him. And, I mean, so he's he's straying together now, games with sacks. So I think his role is going to continue to expand as the season goes on. And he's only going to get better. I'm very So next week we have Northwestern, and then we have a bye week. And if he could have two good weeks of practice, I think he could see a whole lot of Denied Dennis Sutton against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the beauty of this defense. Uh, they play a lot of guys. And, I mean, just the reps. I mean, that's the exciting part. Like, everyone's getting so many. They, they're getting XP yep. points right now. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that and one other thing I wanted to look up. This is moving on from DDS. But we, we talked a little bit about the getting off the field situation against Auburn and how that was something. I think that improved against Central Michigan. I thought they did a much better job getting off the field. Additionally, I think they're up to like 31st now in the country in third down conversions allowed, which isn't great. Give you an idea, Minnesota's at 18%. I think Penn State's at like 30-something percent, percent. So, like, there's And Minnesota's number one in the country right now. So there's improvements to be made, but it's not like, it's not like we're at the back you know, half of, of the country or anything like that. So I think that maybe took a step forward this week um, and was something to pay attention to. I don't think really Richardson was a guy that was going to kill you with his arm anyway. Um, but again, you don't want to give up those third and longs in any, any of those situations. And Richardson didn't have the same running capabilities as Robbie. Not Nobody has the same running capabilities that Robbie Astrid has. Like Penn State will not face a faster run quarterback than Robbie Astrid the rest of the season. So... And, and TJ Finley was no slouch either. So, um, really, if you think about running quarterbacks the rest of the year, that can make you pay if you go to a man coverage or whatever you you rush downfield too hard. Um, Michigan, JJ McCarthy, he can he can wiggle a little bit, not much, but a little bit. And then I'm trying to Talia Tagovailoa way later against Maryland, and I think that's it because you got mm-hmm. Northwestern. Ryan Holinsky, no. You got um, Minnesota, Tanner Morgan, no. Nope. You got uh, Ohio State, CJ Stroud, no. You got, uh, is it Rutgers? Rutgers is first after that. Or, yeah, Rutgers is after yeah. that, right? And I don't yeah. even know, honestly, who is their quarterback. Are they even, they're still going to multiple guys, I, aren't they? I believe um, Vedro was hurt, yeah. Okay, Vedral can run if he's there, but if he's yeah. not going to be, I don't think by then he's going to be the starting quarterback. To be honest with you, no, I don't either. I think they're going to go with that young kid. Yeah, and he, I don't think he. Well, he's dual threat, so maybe we'll put him as a maybe. Maryland, yes. Indiana, Connor Bazelak, absolutely not. And then Peyton Thorne, not yeah. really. So yeah. you're you're not going to see that many. Which, if if you're thinking about it the defensive linemen have to be kind of salivating to that because as soon as they know you're a sitting duck back there, I mean, the floodgates open up. And so that's exciting. I mean, I don't really, it's, it's kind of surprising, Sean. Like you think about how 
this day and age, how little dual threat quarterbacks Penn State's going to face the rest of the way. And that kind of makes me feel a little bit better because the only thing we complained about in that Auburn game was the fact that, yeah, they kind of got downfield too hard and, and no man coverage, they kind of left, you know, these big third down runs. And there's not many of those kind of games left on the schedule, which is just another thing to be excited about with this defense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, I mean, so I was thinking about the quarterback as you're going through them and just, you know, their, you know, their athleticism and everything, but just how good they are. Uh, so next week we face Ryan Helinski. Um, <laughs> he's Northwestern's quarterback and Northwestern is really bad. Um, then we got Tanner. Then we got um, JJ McCarthy. Who's a little unproven? I don't think he's play, he hasn't played. We're we're gonna know a lot about him after the Iowa game, I think. Um, then Tanner Morgan, I think we know Tanner Morgan, uh, pretty well. Uh, he's he he looks like he's about fifty, and I think he might be fifty because he's played about he's played as long as Cliff, so he's been around a while. Uh, Stroud's really good, and then in the month of November, none of the to, Tom Vailo is pretty good, but none of the quarterbacks really knock my socks off. So I really think the quality of quarterbacks we play the rest of the year. I mean, it's nobody really strikes fear of God in me except Steve, except CJ Stroud. And that's partly because he has such a good supporting cast too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me think if there's, Oh, you know, I just wanted to add to this point because yeah, we we mentioned this a couple times in preseason, and, and and Franklin mentioned the whole ego thing, and I think that was an important part of this past weekend too, because they could have left their starters out there. I mean that that begin not the whole third series that Central Michigan eventually scored on, but a lot of it. Cam Miller was already in the game in the third series as a true freshman, was already in the game in the third series. That's to me one of those huge going back to that quote, right? Like. We are not worried about winning by a bunch. We're worried about getting guys reps. That, to me, is kind of speaking back to that quote. I wanted to just mention that because that's something that was said and we kind of thought was funny. But then I see Cam Miller out there, who, by the way, kind of needs the reps, to be honest with you. He's very, very raw. Um, These reps are huge for him right now. I don't know if I really like him being in on a third series, but whatever. I mean... They won the game and, and all that's fine. But uh, that that was something that spoke to me because they are getting guys in and they're getting guys in early. I mean, even I think Liam Clifford came in on the third series on offense. So, yeah. Franklin, maybe that, we laughed at it at the time, but I think they're making an obvious effort to, to, to do this more. So uh, let's see if it pays off, I guess. Yeah, and I think in a game... Because I think in a game that James Franklin going in is pretty certain we're not going to lose. Uh, you're going to try to do more things. You're going to try. You're going to try stuff that isn't always going to work. And even though, I mean, I, I do criticize play calling occasionally. Um, occasionally means maybe once a week. Um, <laughs> but sometimes when you criticize play calling, you have to be careful because. You're not at practice. You're not in the. You're not in the film room, and you don't know what they're working on all week. So there might have been a method to the madness for why we threw the ball so much in the first half, for example. 
and why we're playing so many different guys and what, what the thought process is. And sometimes it's hard when we're not in the room. Now, when there's obvious things, um, like running the ball on fourth and five uh, late against Ohio State and Trace McSorley's having the game of his life, I mean, maybe then you could criticize the play calling. But in general, I think you have to be a little bit careful when criticizing it. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, let's go. Let's go special teams. Let's do it. I don't want to do it, but uh, let's do it. Uh, punter, Barney Moore, doing great. I do want to know, he brought a pillow with him when he got off the bus. I think Darian Summers pointed that out. Um, I don't know why he's taking a pillow with him from the hotel or whatever. I mean, does he take a nap? I guess they have a little bit Keep more time. Keep taking it. Keep yeah. taking it because he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that first punt he had, if we're going to be critical, which I guess is what we're doing now, because um, we're doing it with Sean Clifford, we might as well do it with the punter. His first punt was pretty bad. It was a low line drive punt, didn't get all of it. It bounced. The Central Michigan returner, which, by the way, Franklin, I think in a press conference, alluded to as being someone they had to be worried about. I wasn't worried about him. And they, the guy didn't do anything really with it. Actually, no, take that back. I think, let me go back to my notes here. Um, I think he did make a couple guys miss. I think miss. he had a decent return. Yeah. yeah. I think he did make a couple guys miss. So I'm just thinking if that's like Marvin Harrison Jr. back there or somebody else, that might have been a touchdown. So. Just wanted to see if again that to be cleared up, but then he had three punts after that that were all in the top ten. So, um, yeah, I think I think he's he's the one thing, and honestly, kickoff specialist, uh, Gabe Nowusu does a, a a fantastic job. And co- like he gets down there and hits people. I mean, he the, a couple times he was a guy literally making the tackle. So it's nice to see him. Again, both of those guys are doing a good job, and the fact that nobody's won that tells me that they're both doing really good. So that's the good, Sean. Do you do you want to go into the the bad? Uh, I'll talk about the good first, then I'll get the bad. So uh, Barney and Moore, my friends and I were discussing it at the tailgate after the game, and I think through four games, it's clear that he's one of our best players. Um, And some of you might say, well, punters aren't people which I could kind of respect. But, I mean, if we're, if we're assuming they are, I mean, he's one of our best weapons. He really is. It's such a good, it's, he's such a good weapon to have. And we are also comparing Stout versus Barney. And I think Barney Amore might be a little bit better than Stout in pinning teams. Whereas Stout was better at getting us out of trouble. So if we're backed up at the five, I would take Jordan Stout to get us out of there because Jordan Stout's leg was just so huge. Now, if our drive stalls out around the 45, I'd probably take Barney more because I feel really confident that he's going to pin them inside at least a 10, maybe even inside the five-yard line. So it, he's just such a great weapon to have. Uh, kickoffs, I think it's pretty clear to me that Gabe Russo is our best option there. Maybe Franklin's thinking you have to keep the scholarship guy Sanders Sahadak happy and have him have him handle kickoffs a little bit, a little bit as well. But I just think Nulso is our best option there. I don't really understand unless that's the rationale why uh why it's being shared. 
Also, Penninger kicked off one time yesterday. I don't get it, but he did. I actually didn't notice that. Good. Look at Sean with the eh? key finds. <laughs> yeah, didn't get that. And speaking of Jake Penninger, I want to. I'll defend him here. The extra point was not his fault. Uh, he jumped I, over the offensive line like yep. a spider monkey. Yeah, not his fault. Uh, Stoll and Tangwall. I I'm not I'm not a special teams coach. I can't say what to do, but they can't let that happen. Uh, they can't let somebody just jump in because you could have Adam Vinatieri. That kick's probably getting blocked. Where I will puts it through the dude. Yeah, that's true because he was a patriot. And they just he probably like goes through his hands because he's a patriot and they just ruined my life. Um, <laughs> but. The missed field goal. I mean, Jake, come on, buddy. It wasn't. It wasn't even close. And uh, it was in his range. I actually checked the flags above the uprights to make sure the wind wasn't blowing. It wasn't blowing. And he just he just straight up missed it. And I don't know, and I, I I feel bad. I was so hard on him after the Ohio game. I, I I actually I actually like genuinely do. Like I'm not kidding around. I I really do feel bad that I was hard on him. But dude, you got to be able to make that. You have to be able to make that. He just I don't know. He he's he's in a funk right now, and I just hope he could get out of it. Uh, Sanders Sahedak. I mean, he wasn't even close with his long field goal, even if it had the happen? leg. Didn't did it have the like I didn't even couldn't tell on the TV. No, it fell short. Okay. Yeah. Actually when I was at the game, I couldn't tell if he hit it hard enough if it would have went through. But after seeing the TV and the um and seeing it live, it wouldn't have gone in. So he wasn't even close on it. And look, guys, the field goal unit, I won't just single out Jake Penninger, but the field goal unit, the extra point unit, that could lose that will lose this team a game if they don't improve. I mean, mark my words, like, you have to be able, you, you, you can't get extra points blocked. It just can't happen. We are currently making 93% of our extra points. That's in the 130s in the country. Like, I should say Jake Pinnaker, but I, I'll say the whole unit because Jake's kicked all the extra points. Yeah, we're in the 130s right now for extra point percentage. And, guys, that loses you games. And I don't want to lose a game 28-17 Ohio State. But I could see it happening. And I really hope it doesn't. It's something we have to improve. That'd be a new way to lose to Ohio State by one point. So that'd be kind of fun. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me just say this. Because I disagree with what Franklin's doing with the kicking situation, obviously. But more specifically... I really didn't like him even bringing Sahadek out there. So that was his first field goal attempt in his career, right? Yep. And you bring him out for a 57-yarder. I mean, even, first of all, 57 yards is a long way. I mean, he probably didn't. Let's say he got nine, like he kicked that with 90% as best as he could of his ability. So he, like 100% he would have made it. He gives it 90%. It's his first kick, whatever. Not long enough to the left, whatever. But why 
would you want that to be his first field, especially since you might be calling on him at some point in the season? And if he's not starting because of Pinnegar right now, it must mean that he's struggling with accuracy. So why would that help his confidence moving forward? Honestly, I would rather have just seen uh, a counterplay to Nick Singleton. And if he doesn't get it, the game, you know, we're just going to half and whatever, then bring him out there. But especially since we're struggling with internal blocking, and that was before the block, but we he's had mentioned already we're struggling with field goal internal blocking in the press conference. So you're going to bring him out for a 57-yarder. He's probably going to kick it low. They're lucky it wasn't blocked, to be honest with you, number one. And number two, now that guy has no confidence moving forward because he just missed the kick. And then your starter misses another kick even shorter, and now nobody has any confidence. And you've already kind of put this potentially losing mentality um, in your freshman or your redshirt freshman kicker's head. So I really didn't like the decision to do that to him. If it's a if it's a game winning one, obviously it's different. But do I really need to go up 24-14 against CMU when I'm getting the ball to start the second half? Like, probably not. And that's probably not the opportunity I want for my you know kicker to go out there for the first attempt of his career. Uh, to be that situation. So I didn't like the, the, to, to bring him out in that situation. And then obviously it, it didn't work out anyway. So I, I was against that. As far as the field goal, the place kicking blocking goes, Sean, I, I don't know if I saw it. On, I think it was on Twitter. Someone had a, obviously kind of a funny point, but I kind of thought about it for a second. I'm like, that's actually not the worst idea. They, they, they said, why don't you put, and I'm sorry if you tweeted it to us specifically, and they might have. And I'm sorry, I just don't know who what the username was on Twitter. Again, make sure you're following us at Hardcore PSUFB. Uh, they said, why don't you put PJ Mustafer at the left guard or the right guard spot? I mean, you don't have to have great blocking technique for two seconds. You just can't get terribly beat. And if there's anybody on this Penn State football team I know cares enough and is not going to let someone get by them, it's PJ Mustafer for everything he's been through. And also... I just feel like if P.J. Mustafer is next to me, he's going to make me a better blocker. I feel like if he's next to me, I'm going to be a better blocker because I don't want to let that dude down. So, I, I mean, again, that, that we're not going to put Mustafer out there at the right guard spot on PATs. But I thought that point was something to – There's there's got to be a certain level of pride in that. And the fact that this has never been an issue before, and I don't think it's a Stacey Collins issue. I just think they got to – like I don't know if it's a communication thing. I don't know if somebody just needs to get their head out of their butt, but the fact that this is an issue, it's a good issue to have, right? Like we could have a lot worse things to talk about, Sean, on Sunday nights than internal PAT blocking. But you're right. It's going to cost Penn State a game at some point, and it's really going to make me sad. So, yeah, they got to figure it out. It would be awful if you do everything right in a game against a Michigan or against a Minnesota or against an Ohio State and you lose it because of something like that. So it, that, that's something that's so correctable, right? So what what, what do you think about the P.J. Mustafer at the right guard spot? I get what the per, where the person's going with it. Um, I would think maybe I, I would still probably stick with the lineman. Um, yeah. What about like somebody like Vega Ione? Like he is a massive dude. Now they might be trying to preserve his red shirt, which – makes sense but i don't think anybody in around him and like you said all you got to do is hold them up for a second or two 
And I just, I can't see him giving that up there. Um, but if they want to preserve the red shirt, I mean, you got, you got to find someone. And all I know is something like that can't happen because now Michigan special teams coach has seen that Ohio States, Minnesota as well. When, when, when they're coming, you know, when it, when it's our turn to play them, they all see that now and they're all going to be attacking that gap. So I, I agree with Corey. Like I would hate to lose a game that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something that um, seems correctable, right? It, though, I mean, it seems like, yeah, you would that think. happens once shame on me. It happens twice or shame on you, but it happens twice. Shame on me kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, I totally we can't agree. get fooled again. <laughs> OW. So, and I totally agree with you with, uh, with, with the, with Sahadak. Um, why not just do what we did with Stout and Pinnaker? If we're going to do this two-kicker thing, which I don't like, but let's say we do it. Just have Sahadak kick from 40 and out. I mean, I, I would feel a lot better if Sahadak's first college kick was for 41 yards rather than 57 yards. Because I think 41 he can handle. And Jake Pinnaker has, has since really 2019, has shown that he's really he really really struggles from 40 and out uh this year he's been struggling with 40 and in too but for his career he has really struggled that way uh from that distance so why not just make it that way like we have with jordan stout i don't get it but i don't get paid the big bucks to figure that out no no um i was gonna say randomly that cam miller got academic whatever of the week so we i just kind of crap it on him a little bit but congratulations there for getting um yeah scholar whatever of the week so good for him there um yeah oh. i think real quick yeah i like parker washington as a punt returner i think he's gonna break one eventually because he just some guys just have a knack for that and i really like what i've seen from him i'm glad you mentioned it i'm still on the fence to be honest with you because <sighs> I don't know if you can score doing what he does. I think you can get – and if you're getting good field position, I think that's more important. Like, I'd rather, I guess, consistently get 15 yards-ish on punt returns, which I'm not sure if he's at that exactly, but whatever. And then instead of just having a home run every once in a while but getting killed or having a chance of muffing it. So I guess I like him back there. I just don't think – I thought we might see one against – some of these teams that have a little bit less athletes on the field. I find it hard to imagine, you know, I find it hard um, to believe he's going to be able to do that against someone like an Ohio state. I just feel like that dancing stuff isn't going to be as effective. Like he outran on that one punt return. He outran central Michigan's defenders after he broke a tackle or two, even if he breaks that tackle or two against Ohio state, I just feel like team speed wise, he's not going to be able to turn the corner like he did. So, um, and he didn't even score against Central Michigan. So, and I feel like if that was maybe Jahan Dotson or somebody else from previous years, maybe they were able to. So, and again, he's consistently catching the ball, which we've had issues there before. Um, and he's enough of a threat where I think people are trying to think about him. So that that's also an important part, right? Like you, you want someone back there that's making the punter think about you. And if you're doing that, that's kind of, that's kind of half the battle, right? That's uh art of war mm-hmm. stuff right there. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, um, I hear what you're saying, like going East West, going 
running backwards. It's always high risk, high reward. And when you're playing a team like Ohio State, it might not be the best idea. But remember that punt return against Purdue? He was ruled down, unfortunately, because he just barely hit the ground. He had a nice return against them. So, I mean, and he's, he's to my knowledge, I think he's the only one that has fielded a punt so far this year. But I could be wrong about that. I thought Hardy had one in one of the. Yeah, he might have. I Yeah. Just to prove you wrong live, um, I thought I thought Hardy had one in one of the games, but again, okay, that, that's not the point. Um, <laughs> any other special teams you want to discuss? I, I think um, Franklin seemed irritated that we weren't getting the kicking the ball in the end zone more, but I mean, I I I think that's neither here nor there. Personally, our kick coverage has been really really good so far, but I understand wanting them to start at the twenty every time too. Breaking news, Franklin is mad that Penn State's not perfect. Yes, exactly. It seems like kind of a coach thing to be mad about. (laughs) Very coach thing to be mad about. Okay. Um, So that's your recap, everybody. We talked extensively about Aller and Clifford probably more than – well, that's probably what everybody wants to hear about anyway. So you're welcome. Uh, Quick recruiting update. Edwin Joseph, Sean, visited, had a good time, had a great time, had – I think he said had a better time than he expected or something along those lines. Um, fill us in on Mr. Edwin Joseph. Ed, Edwin Joseph, excuse me. Yeah, uh, Edwin Joseph, classic example of a guy that you just want to get up for, to, to get up to campus to visit. He's from, you know, wait Miami. Wait, 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 what did you just say? He's the classic example of a guy that you want to get up to visit. Thank you. That was That was a big pause right there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So he's um, he's from Hollywood, Florida. Uh, Shamade Madonna. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, it's big, big football school down there. We I believe John Dunmore, who left the team, I think he was at that same school. And he and uh, Edwin Joseph is I think, believe he's still seen as a Miami lane. But supposedly the visit went really, really well at Penn State. So. I think Penn State continues to look for one more receiver. I know they've been in communication with uh, Carmelo English. So look for them to maybe add one more receiver to this class. And Edwin Joseph might be the guy that they're looking for. Okay. Well, good. Um, Yeah, I think I am kind of like most fans right now. I have not really been kind of focused. I I see when people are getting scholarship offers or when they, they might be visiting, but this was mm-hmm. kind of a lighter week anyway for for visits compared to to right. Ohio, um, so you know, well, obviously, you know the 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 Minnesota game, the Ohio State game, those are probably going to be a little bit bigger um, than moving forward that we should probably pay attention to. But um, okay, I think we're ready for fan questions, and I think they're all fan questions. I was willing to take bold takes as well, but. I think everything pretty much came out to some sort of question, so we appreciate it. Again, hardcore PSUFB. Um, a lot of traction over there lately, so thank you guys. And again, this show is supposed to be sort of sort of interactive, at least. We try to say so. We got one, two, three, four questions I want to talk about today, Sean. Let's start with our one of our like fan favorites. I, I'm willing to call him super fan at this point because Dorito Bandit is all aboard the hardcore Penn State football train, so... Thank you, Dorito, for another question. 
And I have an announcement for the Pick'em, by the way, a little bit later. Don't let me forget. But anywho, um, Dorito says, why does it seem like the defense has such trouble defending short crossing routes? And what defensive adjustments could they make to better defend the in-short passing game? First of all, I just want to say, not watching the game and seeing all the feedback on Twitter and also seeing these questions before I'd watched the game was nice because I, then I watched the game specifically looking for these things. I don't think there was as many short crossing routes completed as maybe Dorito thought there was. Um, however, there was one really bad one. And again, Cam Miller was in coverage for it. Again, I hate like we're just destroying Cam Miller on this, but he's a true freshman. He's learning. He'll be fine. Um, but one of the bigger ones, I think it was on a third and three crossing route. He kind of just got jumbled up in the mess. When you're playing man coverage, which Manny Diaz is doing a lot of against, you know, teams that Penn State's superior against, then they can line up across the board and be better. It's nice. However, crossing routes is one way um, in those short yard situations where you can be effective against man coverage. That's what you happen to see a lot of in those games. It's hard to play man coverage in uh against slants against crossing routes etc kalen king and joey porter jr and johnny dixon and whoever daquan hardy all of them are making it look super easy i mean gosh kalen king had a fantastic day against slant passes so did jpj that's not really normal usually it's pass interference usually it's a catch it's really hard to stay in phase you kind of want to stay on that back hip but you you know a good throw can beat man coverage on slants almost every time depending on the receiver uses their body if they use their hands when they catch it etc etc um but that's why you're seeing a lot of those crossing routes Dorito because well what else are you going to do you can't throw post routes because usually they're playing with a high safety back there in the middle of the field even though Jalen Reed wasn't there for Jonathan Sutherland um you can't throw any sort of fade routes because they're locking you up. And also, post routes, seam routes, fly routes, curl routes, even out routes or hitch routes potentially take too long because people are in your face so fast. So now you're limited to three to five yard pass routes because otherwise your quarterback is going to be killed. So having the pass rush with man coverage compliments very well if you ask many defensive coordinators a if they know you're passing they and they have the ability they're going to want to go man coverage and just let your pat their pastors eat you alive and manny diaz is actually able to do that right now and i think that's why if you look at blitz percentages where they're sending more than four people penn state's actually not crazy high now he'll send people from different areas but the overall number coming hasn't been outrageous that you might think and i think He's realizing he doesn't necessarily have to send a lot because of how well they're doing up front. So you couple all that together, Dorito, and that's why you're getting these short routes. And to be honest with you, that's really the only thing they're completing most of the time. Now, credit CMU. They had a couple one-on-ones they won. Uh, Wilson, like we mentioned, he had a couple really nice catches. But you're forcing them to make those nice plays. You're forcing a good pass. You're forcing a good catch. Sometimes that's the best way to do things. Sean, do you want to add anything to that? I felt like I want a tangent there. Yeah, uh, you did well with that. Yeah, like you said, when we go man man to man, uh, especially if they, especially if the other team has a good tight end, and they're matched up on maybe a slower linebacker, 
you know, linebacker play is very important in those cross in those crossing routes. And hey, sometimes you get caught, um, and sometimes you get caught in them. Um, look at last year uh, when Eric All against Penn State had had the had the winning touchdown for Michigan. Uh, that was a crossing pattern, I believe, and Kalen King just got caught up in the mess and tripped. And that's that's how it could happen. You know, you're in man coverage, and they go across the middle, and that and that stuff could happen. I believe Elston got caught on a couple this year. And that was going to bring that one up against Purdue. Yes. yes, sir. Yes. So that could happen. Uh, so it's incumbent on your linebackers to be able to defend the pass well uh, when. Um, especially when you're playing against especially when, when when your scheme is as man heavy as we have it. Yeah. No, I think that's that's exactly why you're seeing it the way you are. And I'm curious in what you know, they're going to you can you know, if you're in man coverage, you're not giving much away. Like, and I just I'm curious as we get to maybe better teams this Michigan team for example, we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Not your typical Michigan team. If you haven't been watching a lot of Michigan yet this year, they're not going to play their typical lineup, run it, run it. They have a lot of weapons on the outside now. And same with Ohio State. Same with Maryland. They have a lot of weapons on the outside. Against those teams, is Manny Diaz still going to stick to that man coverage? Are we going to see a little bit more zone? That's where I think you can get kind of cute against those teams. Because, and you have to keep mixing it up against those guys because a Stroud, et cetera, they can take advantage of things. Also, important to note, if you're in man coverage all the time, as far as run support goes, you don't have a lot of extra help. And so um, your your corners are turned. They're not paying attention to the run game as much. So that's something to pay attention to. If If you're getting gashed in the run game, it's harder to play man coverage all the time. So that's something to pay attention to if and when Penn State gets challenged. Think about like a Minnesota. Like is Minnesota maybe doesn't have the best weapons on the outside. Chris Ottman-Bell is actually out for the season now. Uh, but because Mo Ibrahim is such an effective runner, how do you commit the right guys to the box? How do you have your corners help and run support if they're always in man coverage? So even against Minnesota, you might see a little bit more zone. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see. So that was a great question, uh, Drito. It's fun to kind of, and there's more to that coming um, because um, this was from Louis, Louis Spots Eno, uh, PSU, PSU Lou. That's hard to say. PSU it should change her at to PS Lou. Just saying that'd be, that'd be better. I'm helping people out here, Sean. Uh, PSU Lou 83, by the way, says. <laughs> It looked like Central Michigan played a lot of cover zero to slow down the Penn State offense. What adjustments does Penn State need to make moving forward against the scheme? Okay, so now we're flipping it the other way, right? And if you're going to flip it the other way, how do you beat the man coverage? Now, cover zero, Manny runs a decent amount of cover zero, but he also runs a lot of, you know, single high safety looks to give them a little bit more help. Or he has a a robber or, or someone who's in the middle of the field to kind of help against those slant routes in those crossing routes cover zero not only means you're playing man coverage but it unequivocally means you're bringing some pressure most of the time more than what the offense can block and that's actually what happened to drew aller on that sack uh man coverage across the board he didn't recognize it he probably didn't even hot route it and 
all that's doing is saying, hey, instead of doing your post route, cut that off, run a slant instead, because the ball's coming quick or I'm going to die. Drew Aller probably hasn't got that far into his um, into his audibles and, and his recognition and things like that. So how do you beat it? Well, A, if you can run the ball, that's the best way to beat it. If you can't, you have to basically make them feel threatened that your receivers are going to hurt them over and over again. Best example that Penn State's done that, go back to when uh, Penn State played Michigan, what, that had been 2019 at home. Is that the right year? Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> one of Clifford's best games, Don Brown, not the defensive coordinator there anymore. Don Brown, Happy yeah. brought him up. I was just about to. Always loves man coverage. Not as schematically um, as far as how he like kind of hides his blitzes as much or hides his man coverage or his scheme as much as Manny Diaz. Not as crazy on the stunts as Manny Diaz is, but same principle, loves man coverage. And Sean Clifford tore them apart that year over and over again, and they stuck to their man coverage, and Clifford made them pay all night long. Eventually, they actually had to get out of it because – they were they were kind of burning them, and so if you can hit on a couple deep balls, aka remember Tinsley on that big catch against Auburn, same concept. If you can win those one on ones, that makes the defense quarter kind of get out of that. If you can hit them on a couple slants, and by the way, uh, go to that Purdue game. What was Penn State able to do multiple times? Keandre Lambert Smith took that slant route, kind of on that little pick play that they run. Got the slant route, broke a tackle score. You do that a couple times, the defense corner is like, okay, well, we can't do that. Whenever your athletes are better than their athletes, you can't really go to that cover zero. And it's a lot harder to run cover zero against a more experienced quarterback. Because if you're going cover zero and you're not disguising it well, most likely against a, a six-year guy, if he's going to make you pay. Sean, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, and Corey, I'm happy you brought up Don Brown. Because when Michigan had Don Brown, who ran a lot of cover zero, that scheme in particular, they feast on inexperienced quarterbacks and quarterbacks that just aren't very good. But every time Michigan would play Ohio State or a good Penn State offense, they would get shredded. It happened in 2017 against Penn State. It happened in 2019 against Penn State. It happened every year with Ohio State. So cover zero could be effective if you mix it in. And yeah, Manny still likes to keep, you know, like you said, he likes to do some cover one uh, and he like he likes the man coverage um, just, just like, just like Don Brown did, but they don't exclusively run it. Um, well, they don't, they don't exclusively run cover zero a lot like Michigan did. Now Michigan didn't run it exclusively, but they ran a ton of it back in the day. Central Michigan, I kind of liked that they did it because when it works, it could really work. And yesterday we didn't, I, I don't think we burnt them enough on it. Uh, and like Corey said, you could run, uh, Best way to beat it is running the ball, but you could also go deep with it. And you could actually run a lot of those crossing patterns, uh, like we were just talking about in the previous question, because a lot of times you could find where that 
where the where they're where the linebackers aren't. And if you have a speedy receiver, you could really make the defense pay. And that's a twenty yard game right there. So um Miami Dolphins run a lot of coverage zero. So it could be effective, but you have to be very smart with it. And you can't be too stubborn to just keep running it a lot like I think Don Brown used to do. He'd be so stubborn, so committed to it. But by the time you go back and change it, it's and go back and try to make changes, it's too late. So I hope, you know, for Penn State's sake, um, Manny Diaz isn't very stubborn if things aren't working well. And to his credit so far, he hasn't been. He's been very good at adjusting at halftime. Yeah, yeah. And the only last point I'd add to that, too, is having a tight end that is able to make plays. Because like you mentioned in the previous question, having a tight end that can outrun linebackers or is more physical than typical, typically safeties um, that aren't as good in man coverage, if your tight end can win the matchups, or your slot receiver sometimes can win the matchups, you're going to be okay. Because usually, number one wide receiver versus number one cornerback, most of the time it's going to be a stalemate. But the tight end, can he be the X factor? Can he be the guy that makes them get out of that cover zero? That That's also something that happens a lot. If you want a good example of cover zero getting absolutely decimated, go back and watch. I want to say it's Ohio State, Michigan, 2017, 2017 or 2018. And they put up like 55 on Michigan. And that was sort of. I think of, it was 2018. I think it was 2018, too. Um, the were, revenge tour. Yeah. Just uh, and, and watch what Ohio State does. Just dominates them um, over and over again. So uh, good question. P.S. Lou, by the way, you should definitely change your name to that. Um this one's from Lucas Powers, and this is getting into the future. We're looking ahead here, Sean, as we begin. We're doing a good job as far as looking ahead, I feel like, um, towards the end of these things, and these questions help us. So this is from Lucas Powers. He says, was the Minnesota whiteout a big brain move to keep the boys energized for a clear trap game, or is it as simple as Minnesota is at night? Um, I don't really think there was – obviously a conscious effort to worry about a trap game but sean we've talked about this many times obviously penn state's not great after a loss beginning of the season i know sean that you're recently and we should kind of get a gauge on where you're at now because before this game you were said that your thoughts on the penn state michigan game had maybe changed since the preseason but at least in the preseason we thought that it was most likely going to be a loss and then they'd be coming at home to play Minnesota, sneaky opponent. The whiteout might be at a good time to kind of, again, like Lucas says, get them going. Um, Energize is the word Lucas uses here. I think that's an important point. I think regardless of what happens in Michigan, we just saw a little bit of a hangover against Auburn. There's no reason to say there wouldn't be some sort of hangover when you play Minnesota if it wasn't a whiteout. Now, if you lose, especially. So having a whiteout, everyone's going to be up for a whiteout regardless. But yeah, having Michigan, a game, and then Ohio State, I think there's definitely opportunity there for, for a team to need some energy, to, to need some get pumped up. And uh, 
I'm not as worried about Minnesota, Sean, because it is a wideout. So not exactly what Lucas is asking, but I think the grand scheme of things is, yes, there's going to be a huge benefit for the Minnesota game to be the wideout. Yeah, I think especially now. Um, and I was somebody who didn't really love the idea of Minnesota being a whiteout game. But it looks like, you know, that they might be in the top ten by the time we play them. Because they have Purdue next. And Purdue has been struggling. Don't and even know. Is, is Aiden O'Connell even playing? Because he didn't play. Yeah, I don't know if he's I am, I am not sure. I don't think his injury is so bad that he's going to be out a long time. But I know he does. Ha- he does have one. Um, and then they have Illinois, and Illinois is so-so. So, I mean, this could be, especially if Penn State uh, takes care of business against Northwestern and Michigan. Is that Illinois game at Illinois? It is at Illinois. Okay. Uh, it could be a top-ten matchup. So I think it ended up working out <laughs> that um, that it – that it's going to be as high profile a game as it was, as it is, uh, because frankly, I didn't think Minnesota was going to be as good as they are, but they are. They have a good team. I don't know how good yet, but they're pretty good. They went in East Lansing and told, and that they pantsed Michigan State. wasn't even close. So they have a pretty good team. Now to answer your question, I think it's as simple as Minnesota is that night. Uh, I think it was kind of um, a bit of a slap in the face to Fox, maybe maybe not a slap in the face, but uh, oh, you're going to put our game at noon? Well, that game's not the whiteout. Because to my knowledge, Fox has never announced, they, they, they've never called a whiteout game. And they're probably going to put Ohio State, Penn State on as the big noon kickoff, and they're not going to be able to call a whiteout game. So I think I think it was as simple as Minnesota is uh, Minnesota's at night. But it's gonna be it's gonna end up working out for us because we might need we might need that whiteout atmosphere for Minnesota. You want my thoughts on the whole I agree with everything you said. I will say this. I think Illinois is the second best team in the Big Ten West right now. So that's where we're at in the Big Ten West. Nice take. But anywho. Where does Nebraska rank? Low. (laughs) Low. Um, I should say, by the way, eat a little bit of crow and say Central Michigan play a lot better than I thought they were going to. Um, so I should say that. Um, but anyway, to get my thought on the the fact that Fox hasn't said, and I know Josh Pate is saying it's an assumed as well, and, and he has more information than I do, but they haven't called it a, a noon yet. And I just feel like the fact that they haven't yet I just have this weird feeling, Sean, and I should probably get it medically checked out, but I really think it might be a four o'clock kick. I, I, I just think Fox is smarter than this, and we've already seen them do it before where they we've talked about this exact thing before, where they rolled right in the World Series right after it. Or the playoff game. I don't know where they're at at that point in the season anymore, but anyway. We've seen them do that before, and they haven't said it's a noon kick. And you're going to go the, – the the Michigan game for Penn State is officially a noon kick. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would probably say it's like 70-30. It is a noon kick. 
But a little bit of hope, and for some reason, is I think it's it could be an afternoon game. But we'll have to wait and see, um, obviously. But regardless, I think the atmosphere is going to be fine for that. But that Minnesota game, you could argue, is so important either way. Like, if you beat Michigan, you got to find a way to beat Minnesota before you play Ohio State. Like, you just got to. You lose to Michigan, you have to beat Minnesota. Or the wheels can fall off the thing. You could go from, I guess, would be what, 5 and 0 to 5 and 3 going into November all of a sudden. So, um, yeah, you got, you have to find a way to beat Minnesota either way. So, having that as the whiteout when it's all said and done might be one of the smartest things Penn State's ever done. So, who would have, who would have thunked? Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm hoping for that Fox to be smart about the Ohio State one. Uh, let's go to the next question. Final question. This is from Aaron. Does Penn State have adequate depth to survive those next four games undefeated? He says, I say that we are in the best position possible and better off than any year in recent memory. Great job by the staff in building depth. Couldn't agree more with you, Aaron, on the depth. I think the depth is... Definitely, or should I say depth, depth, and definitely that didn't work as well as I thought it was going to. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I got you. The best it's been probably in Franklin's tenure, especially at the the positions that are most important: offensive line, defensive line, secondary, and quarterback. I guess after last year. So the depth I think is the best. I think obviously Northwestern's going to be fine. You get the bye week. That's not the issue. Getting Michigan early is good, but having to finish, you know, that this stretch with Ohio State, the team that has the most depth, it's hard to imagine, Sean, we get through October without injuries. I mean, knock on wood, the injuries have been pretty light so far, um, but it's football and anything can happen. We've saw how that happened last year around October. Um, I think they're going to be okay depth wise to be in every game. But again, when you're facing Ohio State, you kind of need to have all your horses because they will. And if you're behind, like Minnesota, you're going to have better athletes even if you have a couple guys out. The reason you beat Minnesota isn't going to be because you have better athletes, though. Against Ohio State, in order to compete, ask Wisconsin. You've got to have the better athlete or as good of athletes and at least close to the right amount of depth. So... Yes to Michigan, yes to to Minnesota, eh, to Ohio State, Sean. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the problems with beating Ohio State in the past was, like, think of 2017, Ryan Buckholtz gets hurt, and um, Ryan Bates got hurt. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, it was like we, we were done. Because we just did not have the depth that we do now. So do I think we have the depth to survive the next four games undefeated? Probably. But it's kind of like the Sean Clifford debate. Do I think we're going to lose a game because of Sean Clifford? I I mean, maybe. But I don't think Sean Clifford's going to prevent us from going to the Big Ten Championship game by itself. It's kind of that same thing. I mean... I don't think we're going to lose one of these games because we don't have adequate depth. And I do agree with Aaron that we're, we are definitely in a better position 
um, as far as depth goes at, at a majority, at a vast majority of um, positions than we had been in previous years. So that's encouraging. So yeah, I don't think depth necessarily is going to be something to be concerned about, uh, but just the overall talent level of the team versus a team like Ohio State, uh, I think that's where we could run into some problems. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, there's a lot of reasons why you could run into problems when you're when you're playing against Ohio State. So, um, look, they got Northwestern next week. We haven't really talked a lot about Northwestern. Northwestern just lost to Miami of Ohio. They lost to Southern Illinois before that. But it's a Pat Fitzgerald-led team. And I just want to start, and we're, again, we're not going to really go into it too much, obviously, to, in this episode. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday, which, by the way, I'll throw out there, Jake Zem, Zembiak will be Zembek. Better learn how to say that before he comes on the show. Um, he will be the special guest. He's actually uh, reached out. We, we've been communicating for a couple months now on trying to get him on the show. So former Penn State quarterback will be the guest picker this week, Sean. Um and we'll be awesome. back Wednesday Wednesday night for that. But anywho, I just got a feeling that you can never think a Pat Fitzgerald team just gonna let you know lie over and let you beat them by fifty. So I think the line came out of like twenty two to twenty five ish. I saw. So we'll kind of I, I think that was at twenty five and it dropped to twenty two pretty quickly. Um, they got some talented dudes over there. Evan Hall's a good running back. They've got some decent players on on decent defense. The defense last year is really bad. They don't have a lot of talk about depth. They don't have a lot of depth like Penn State does. Um, but they really need a win. I mean, they really need a win. You can't lose to Southern Illinois and Miami of Ohio, and then go out on the road at Penn State and not be really hungry. So, uh, look, I I don't think anyone's looking ahead, right? Because they have a bye week, so I think all the focus is on Northwestern. The, the hangover from Auburn's over. But it's Northwestern, and weirder things have happened, Sean. Yeah, I mean, they just – they beat Nebraska, so they got that win. Uh, so they beat the easiest team on their schedule. And they <laughs> – I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 kid, I kid them. Um but not really. Uh, they so losing to Miami of Ohio, they're just really a team struggling. But yeah, I mean, could Pat Fitzgerald crank up a good game? Yeah, I mean, you never know. There could be a good game plan out there. And look, I mean, I would, I wouldn't mind. I mean, let let me put it this way. I hope we look better than last week because last week I think there was a lot of a lot of stuff to put on film and really study. So I'm hoping we were, were able to put together uh, we put together a good game plan for this week and learn a lot from what from the mistakes we made last week. Uh, also, it's I'm this is another game I'm going to, uh, and I've never seen Penn State play Northwestern in person. So I'm curious to see what Pat Fitzgerald looks like in person if he's as big of a dude and as intimidating looking as he looks like on TV. Did you really just bring up the thing you're looking forward to the most is seeing a grown man in person? Grown dad I man? Okay. I did. Because he sure seems that. like a guy that I wouldn't want to take his daughter out on a date. Let's just put it that way. True. But 
This is what happens when we record late into the night. You start saying things <laughs> like that. And I realize that we've been recording for too long. Yeah, um, it's eleven it's eleven o'clock out here at, in Scranton, so yeah. So with that news, let's uh let's start winding this one down. We have a five star review. So thank you for the five star review. Again, drop us a five star review on Apple. We'll read the review on the show. And we will give you a sticker. If you let us know, DM us on Twitter is the easiest way to do it. And we'll send a sticker to you. So, um, yeah, definitely do that. And we'll get it out to you. You can do a five-star rating on Spotify as well. Uh, we don't really know when those happen. So, you again, have to let us know those happen. There's obviously nothing to read on the show for those. Um, we're trying to get to 100 before the end of the season. This We're at 79 right now. I don't know if I said we were at 78 last time or 77. So we might have another one at some point. But anywho, we're at 79 right now. So I think we're sort of on pace-ish. We're averaging almost one per episode. So keep flooding us with those. Um, those can be suggestions for the show. Those can be concerns for the show. Those can be compliments of the show. They can be whatever you want them to be. If you want to throw your question in there, you're allowed to do that. I mean, whatever you want. This is your review, but it has to be a five star for us to, re to read it. We don't haven't got any non five stars because you guys are awesome. Um, but please consider doing that. We appreciate it. This one was from tired of picking a nickname, which is pretty original, I guess. They say awesome. Five stars. Just found the show. Great content. They know what they are talking about. So. Those are three statements and sean one of those is not true i'll let the fans decide which one of those is not true <laughs> yes thank you very much uh tired of picking a nickname um aren't we all tired of picking nicknames i hate having to pick a new username for all these websites yeah well we appreciate it i mean again it takes like two seconds to do it so we really appreciate it i don't know honestly how much it helps the show grow i want to say it helps us get higher up on the the podcast list on apple but honestly no one's told me that so i don't really know but i would assume more five-star reviews are better and we get to read your guys's stuff on the show so it's another way for you guys to interact with us which is important to us um we mentioned that oh pick them you didn't remind me you suck uh dang pick them i haven't done the pick them yet because i just got back literally five hours ago but i will get the pick them done we'll get it turned around sometime monday if you missed a week and you're like i think it was uh, uh mr hunter on twitter i was like hey i'm behind is there any way i can catch up like can we throw out a week or can i get a week back of points because i missed a week no but i'm assuming someone's everyone's gonna probably miss a week at some point if not though that's okay if you give us a five-star review and let us know moving forward from here on out or a five-star rating or you do something else that seems redeemable, I don't even know what that means. But if there's something you do that supports the show, maybe you buy merch. There's stickers and hats on the merch website. Or maybe you share it with somebody else. Now they're listening and you can somehow prove it. Or you drop a five-star review or you do a five-star rating. Maybe we can trinkle in let's just say five extra points for those kind of things moving forward how about that so if you're down in the ratings you haven't been picking very well you missed a week you want a, a free five bonus points 
we will include and I will actually like make separate columns so we can still see who has like the dead just pick them lead and then who has like the overall total score with those things included from here on out. So if you, I think you can actually do more five star reviews on Apple um, if you wanted to. I don't know if what the rules are now. I don't want to get you guys banned, but I think you could probably do it again if you had spent a little bit. I wouldn't just sit there and do them over and over. Um, but anywho, do it again. Do a five-star review again if you haven't done it for a while, and you can get some extra points that way. Um, or all those other things I listed, and maybe we can find a way for those people that maybe missed the first week or new to the show, we can get you back involved. What do you think of that, Sean? I think it's a fair deal, Corey. Um you know, compliment us in public. Give us a five-star review. Um, maybe, yeah, that's a good you know, one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it could be like, yeah, just, um, yeah, do nice things for us, and things could be negotiated. So I think it's more than fair, Corey. Yeah, we can be bribed. We can totally be bribed. Uh, let's get Absolutely. out of here. We just hit over two hours, so we appreciate you guys listening. If you got this far, you definitely should do some of those things. Uh, Northwestern next week, Jake Zimbach, I think is how you say it, will be on. Got to find somebody for Northwestern to, to talk to us about Northwestern. And um, and we'll get that show. Normal time, Sean, no more Yankees game or what? No, there's no Yankee game going to on Wednesday, so we'll be able to do a normal time. Okay. Dolphins do play sure. Thursday night, though, against Joe Burrow, so check that out. That's the third time you mentioned the Dolphins. We're done with that today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm sorry that Sean talks about the Dolphins. That's three times in one episode, so that's enough. We're, we're, we're done with it. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys have been awesome on Twitter. You guys have been awesome everywhere. We really do appreciate all the kind words. Uh, the fact that people are literally messaging us saying we can't wait for the next episode or we can't wait to hear what you guys have to say this week. I mean... Sean, I think you can agree with me. I didn't think anybody was ever going to say anything like that. I, I know if I, my mom asked, you know, my mom would never believe that anybody actually wants to hear me speak. So um, thank you guys. Yes, thank you guys so much. You guys are the reason we do it, and we're very, very grateful. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, for Sean Kane, I'm Corey Lestoki. This has been Hardcore Penn State Football. Until later in the week, until we get wild, wet and wild, cats. Uh, Have a good week, everybody. Bye. Thank you.